Midnight in Karachi with Mahavish Murad on Tour.com. Joining me today is writer Victoria Schwab, who has written multiple novels, middle grade, YA and adult too, including A Darker Shade of Magic, Vicious, and most recently the fantastic This Savage Song, which is a YA novel about monsters. What makes them monstrous, what makes us human, and who gets to decide which is which. I loved it. Victoria, welcome to Midnight in Karachi. Oh, thank you so much. You did an even better job pitching that book than I would. <laughs> did I? I'm going to ask you to do it anyway in a bit. Uh, but the, the newest book, of course, is This Savage Song, which is, by the way, a fantastic title. I have said it out loud a dozen times just today, and it doesn't stop tasting great. Oh, thank you. It's I, it's one of those things I, I actually think about my backgrounds in poetry, and so I care about the way something sounds on your tongue. Well, did you title all of your own books? Um, no, actually... Uh, I'm very good at titling my friends' books. I'm decent at writing the books, but titles are kind of a finicky beast. And so uh, most of my books, actually, I don't get to title in the end because I either get overruled in-house or it's a very collaborative effort. So The Savage Song was certainly collaborative. Um, A Darker Shade of Magic was very collaborative. Only in that series, the only one I actually got to title was A Conjuring of Light, the final book. Well, it's worked out pretty well, hasn't it, so far? Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So rather than me, as I did tell everyone about the book in my own way, will you tell us a little bit about it? You know, what did you start off with, for instance? I often ask people this. Did you start with a premise or a character first? You know, um, all of my books, especially the Savage Song, they focus on outsiders. And in order to understand outsiders of a culture, I really have to understand insiders of that culture. And in order to understand insiders of that culture, I have to understand the culture and the world that they exist inside of. And so all of my books actually start with the setting and the world. And I try to make it a kind of character in its own right, but I need to know its intricacies first in order to build my cast within it. How much time did that take? Did you spend a lot of time doing that before you started giving the cast, you know, things to do, as it were? No, you know, I usually start with the setting and then uh, kind of broad stroke it and then go on and start forming this characters and the story. And then as I'm going through the first draft, I'll flesh out the world and I'll really start to understand it in full detail. So it's not as though I don't start with the characters until I have a complete world. It's more the symbiotic relationship between them. But if I had to pick a seed of where it starts, it usually starts with the world. And so for the Savage Song, the main setting is Verity, which is a world or a city-state in which violent acts have started breeding actual monsters. And I needed to understand Verity and its intricacies in order to build Kate Harker and August Flynn, Kate Harker being a human girl who thinks she needs to become monstrous to excel in this world, and August Flynn, who is actually a monstrous boy who would give anything to be human. I like the fact the city was called Verity. I like the mm-hmm. fact that it was referred to as V, which is something I think you refer to yourself as well, don't you, when you're I on, do. online. <laughs> that was interesting to me because I kept, I mean, I follow your Twitter feeds and stuff, and I kept thinking this is, where are you the city? Is the city part of you? Well, of course it is. You made it up, right? I was going to say it is. You know, I used to think that authors had an avatar within a book, a character or an element that was very much them. And as I've gone on with my career, I've realized that all of the characters in the book are me. They're just different aspects of me. Some are aspirational and some are a bit more realistic and some are versions I wish I wasn't. And so I, I actually named it Verity just because I kind of loved the comic book element of 
transparency in that way. Uh, I have that in Vicious with a city called Merit. And so then I just shortened it to V-City because it's the capital of Verity, and the capital of Verity is Verity City, the way that the capital of New York is New York City. It's actually right. it's not even the capital. Of New York huh. State? Yeah. You're asking the Pakistani this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, mean, I, was gonna I, say, I always you, say right. that, and then I'm like, I've probably put my foot in my mouth, and it's actually like Albany or something, you know? <laughs> but anyway, I, um, I named it kind of just in this shorthand, because I think it's actually more realistic than coming up with these intricate, intricate naming systems. Sometimes I think we overwrite when the characters in that world would probably just call it V-City. Right. Well, now you've just said that, you know, there's a, there's a part of you in, in everything that you've written. So I have to ask, my next question makes complete sense. If you had a savage song, what would your instrument be? Oh, it would definitely be the violin. The reason that I gave August the violin is because I have absolutely no musical talent. And so people who can play an instrument are already, to me, a touch magical or a touch supernatural. But I have always found the violin to be the saddest and most beautiful instrument that I've ever heard. And I think that it, there's just something about it that's utterly transporting. Um, and so, yeah, I, in that case, I gave August all of my favorite things. Is he the person in the book you'd like to sort of hang out with the most, if you could? I mean, I think I'd survive a lot longer hanging out with August right. than I would hanging out with Kate. <laughs> um, he's just... You know, he's very sweet and he's very sad. And so I'm not sure if he would be a very enjoyable person to hang out with, but I think I would care about him a lot. Just from afar. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think I, I would, you know, we have people in our lives we just want to protect. Right. And I think he's one of those. So, as I've said earlier, I really enjoyed the book. And of course, at the same time, I mean, as a reader, you know, when you've written, as a writer, you've written the book, you've put it out there, you're not responsible then for what people are reading into it. There's a certain amount of baggage that each reader brings to their understanding of a story, or so I believe. Um, Absolutely. The onus is on the reader for interpretation in a great many ways. I couldn't help but read what I see happening in the world today into the story, which isn't necessarily something you intended. I'm not suggesting that you intended to write oh, no, a big was, sort of... But, you was, know, I, I wondered, sorry, I just wondered okay. if, as a writer of fiction, can you, do you think you can ever be free of any sort of socio-political commentary? Can you No, stop but I will your... say that it was entirely intentional. Uh, when I first started writing the Savage song, um, we had in the States Newtown and Ferguson and Aurora and this first wave. I have to call it a first wave now because it's just worsened and I thought it would get, it would pass, um, of extreme violence. Right. And I, I remember sitting down and, I, you know, I'm a supernatural writer, which essentially means I write contemporary fiction within a metaphor <laughs> to help me understand things. And so I was sitting there I'm kind of inundated with this horrific news thinking, where is the aftermath? You know, we, we have this frustrated saying now in the States that thoughts and prayers are not enough, but you would just see over and over again, this, this violence, and then it would pass and people would do it all over again. And I couldn't help but thinking, you know, how, is there really no consequence? And, and what if the consequence were metaphysical? What if finally things got so bad that they spilled over into something more. Right. Um, and that's how the monsters came to be in Verity. It was this idea that en enough bad coalesces 
you know, enough dark energy, enough violence coalesces and forms something corporeal. And so that's how I first started. And I kind of hoped it was two years ago. And I kind of hoped that by the time I toured and talked about the book, I would be able to speak of it in a retrospective way rather than um, having it be so applicable. So, Noah, I can never control what the readers bring to a book. And once it hits shelves, it's theirs and not mine. This was definitely something that was on my mind while I was writing it. Can you, and, can, sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, it's all, I'm done. Can you ever can really you ever stop your surroundings from trickling into your stories? Not at all. I do think that, you know, sometimes those surroundings are very personal and sometimes they're very global. Like I have stories that are based on things from my own surroundings, my own life at the time, who I was. And then there's something like Verity, which, um, you know, while I've been very lucky in that I haven't lost a family member or a friend yet to that violence, it's just, it's everywhere, right. you know? So I think the stories vary in terms of how personal the origins are. They all become personal over the course of writing them, but how personal that origin, that spark is. Uh, though I think in this in this world right now, you can't you can't not see the violence. It, it can't not feel personal. You wrote recently about your almost decade-long overnight success. Uh, you've been writing books for a while now. It's not always been a smooth path, has it? What makes you keep um, going? No, yeah, I, I, I get called a lot these days in overnight success, which I, I find funny, and I assume it's because I'm quite young, but I have been doing this professionally since I was 19, um, and it hasn't been all good. In fact, I would say that as in most things, the, the valleys outweigh the hills in terms of numerical measurement. Um, but you know, at, at the end of the day, I would write whether or not I was an author. And, and I think one of the things that's really helped me is realizing that whatever I'm working on, whatever story I'm writing, it has to be for me. And that sounds simple. It sounds trite. But what I mean is that I I write for a version of myself. So the Savage Song is the version, like the book that 17-year-old me needed. Um, Darker Shade of Magic is the book that 25-year-old me would have wanted, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so doing that, avoiding trend, avoiding whatever might be marketable or sellable, I ensure that no matter what happens with the book in terms of its reception, in terms of its sales, I, it's not corrupted. I love it. You know, it is intimate to me, and I would have written it whether or not it was for an audience or for myself. Now, I know you have a fairly strict writing regimen with little stars on a calendar, if, <laughs> I, if I recall the photos yes. uh, seen correctly. How does that work, and is it something you've always done, or did you sort of come to formulate that when you had more deadlines set your way? Oh, yeah, I've, I'm wretched. I love to-do lists, but I actually didn't have a set system at any point, except the thing I know about myself is that I... I need measurements and I need to be very busy. If you give me 24 hours to do a thing, I will take 24 hours. If you give me two hours, I will take two hours. And so about four years ago, I started using this calendar system wherein, and I've perfected it over the course of the last few years, but I, I hold it really rigidly uh, because I think as a writer, you can look down and then look up again and six months have passed and you're like, oh no, where did those go? Um, and as a published author, you can't really do that. And so every month I 
have a key system in the corner of the calendar and I use different color stars to mark word goals, like 500 words gets a star, um, exercise gets a different star, reading, because I try to read about 100 books a year, gets a star, and then usually travel, things out of my control. Um, And I just essentially keep track every single day. And it's not like there's a reward. It's not like at 100 stars I get to go to a movie or anything like that, because the reward's not really the point of it. The point is to just make sure that I'm present in my own life and not losing track of time or focus. I mean, it clearly works because you're really prolific. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Right. But I was just wondering, how do you decide when to write the words for what? I mean, I'm assuming you work looking at just sort of your release, your publication history and what's coming up next. It makes me feel like you perhaps work on more than one book at one time. You know, it's, I wish I could in that I can't actually draft. I can't write two books at once. And I think it's largely because I write in various magical systems and various supernatural worlds, I can't shift that easily between voices and rules. Um, so what I usually have at any given time is a book that I'm drafting um, and perhaps one that I'm editing and one that I'm thinking about. And so I have a, I have a back burner, as I call it, wherein I constantly have projects um, steeping. I think that writers do some of their best work when they're not actively working on it. Um, I let things sit in the back of my mind for quite a while. And whenever I can't have them on the front burner, they're sitting there on the back burner uh, getting richer. And I make little notes for them and I I keep little documents wherein I, I track thoughts for them. But I really only dedicate myself to writing one book at a time. And it's tricky because my deadlines don't really don't really support that schedule. (laughs) So I end up constantly on deadline and constantly feeling quite behind on deadline. But it's really the only way that I can give proper dedication and proper focus to each project. And I think at some point, was it last year that you decided to do a graduate degree as well? Yes, I did a master's degree. Um, I actually, I call myself a master of monsters, but technically I'm a Master of Medieval hist- uh, medieval Art History with an emphasis in depictions of monstrosity. Fantastic. So I study uh, depictions of monstrosity in medieval art. And what's really cool is, and it's come out a bit in this Savage Song, is depictions of anything in art are not a reflection of the thing depicted. They're a reflection of the culture that depicts them. And so... Um, if you look at monsters in medieval art, largely it's ecclesiastical, but it's just a reflection of whatever the people feared at the time. And so working on this savage song, none of the monsters in that book are self-made. They're not self-generated. Every single monster in this savage song was made by a human. Right. So, so, I mean, it definitely played out in my work in different ways. But yeah, I, I, went, I went to Scotland and I did a graduate degree. Uh, so now I one... have to ask, are you a machine or do you just not sleep? <laughs> I actually really love sleep. It's very unfortunate. Um, well, it's not I, the same as getting a lot of it. I know, I know. I am, um, you know, I think if I got less sleep, I would be less behind in my work. <laughs> but... I'm not a fast writer by any means, so I have to be a very consistent writer, which is the other reason I have the calendar. I know friends who will write for three months of the year, and those three months are incredibly intense, and then the other you know, nine months they're not writing. But I have to, I have to write really 12 months of the year. 
Um, and, and obviously that doesn't always take a like sit down, write 3000 words a day. I wouldn't be very healthy if it did. Um, because I also have to be very physically active for, uh, I think physical health and mental health are very tied together. And so it has to be balanced, but yeah, I, I'm definitely on the underslept and slightly overworked side. (laughs) And by choice to some extent, or is it just because the deadlines, they just don't care? Um, a bit of both, you know, when I had a hiccup in my career a few years ago and I became so afraid that I wouldn't get another book deal that for several years, it kind of drove me to compulsively overwork to ensure that I had new book deals. And, and I probably am at the point now where my agent tells me anyway, though, that it would be okay. Like if I, if I stopped taking on new contracts for a year, like they would come, um, so I think for a little while I operated out of a place of fear, but it's also just that this is what I love. And I really, for all of its madness, I love being busy. I don't really do well because so much of this industry is waiting on things out of your control. Right. And I think that by having so many projects, I ensure that something is always in my control. Do you have any ideas in your head that you just swat aside as, oh my God, just too mad, just too crazy, I can't do this right now? I have ideas in my head that I postpone. And usually it's not because they're too mad or too crazy, it's because I feel like I'm not a good enough writer yet. So I've had an idea in my head and I've been, it's been on that back burner, it's quite steeped at this point, uh, for almost six years. And I kept putting off the actual writing of it because I didn't think I was, I don't think I was a good enough writer at the time. And I finally am getting to the point where uh, it's coming up on my docket. I think it's one book out. Uh, and I kind of think I'm ready to write it. So, so who gets, who gets yeah. to decide if you're good enough to do it? I do. <laughs> I do. Um, I, I think I'm fairly self-aware and I think that, I mean, I don't have any illusions. I think that writers are, I think we conceive of writers as this static entity but writers are constantly growing. I, we, we want them to grow. We want them to get better. And it's kind of a catch-22 in that you never want their books to not be the best they can be. But they can really only be the best that they can be at that moment. And so for me, it's just about feeling like I'm ready emotionally and skill-wise to tackle a very ambitious book. But I'm really the only one. My editor has been begging me for four years to, to write this book. <laughs> Is it finally happening now, you think? Yeah, yeah, it's coming out uh, with Tor. I don't know the release date yet, but they um, they convinced me to do it, and I feel like I'm finally ready to do it. Does so. it have a title? Yeah, it's called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Uh, it's, about, it's a love story between a French girl and the devil over 300 years. Oh, fantastic. Well, that sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about it. All right, now, if you invited all your main characters from all your books to dinner, uh, oh, would, any, in, would there be any interesting crossover friendship or, you know, enmities that would form? Oh, God. They, most of them, I think, would kill each other. Um, I they like have think, the ability to do so. Yeah, I like to think that Delilah Bard would probably appreciate Kate Harker. Uh, so my cross-dressing pirate thief from Darker Shade of Magic would probably see a bit of herself in Kate, uh, the main, one of the main characters from this Savage Song. But the friendship that I think would be the strangest and most delightful is that I have a character named Victor Vale in Vicious. He's a supervillain, and he really dislikes people. Um, 
And I kind of think that if I put him and Delilah Bard in a room together, they wouldn't say a single word. And yet they kind of emerge with like a grudging friendship. Now, which writers did you fangirl over when you were younger? And do you still go back to reading their work now? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I am a huge fan of Neil Gaiman. And I remember, you know, I started in poetry and I remember picking up a short story collection of his when I was in my early teens. And it was the first time I realized you didn't have to choose one thing. You know, he had poems and he had songs and he had short stories and he had books and he had screenplays. And it was extraordinarily freeing as an aspiring writer. And I also just loved his books. I loved this idea of magic being overlaid with reality so that instead of having to go through a wardrobe or having to um, start out at Middle Earth, like it was right around you. It was right there. And that's kind of, I was always the kid that wanting the world to be stranger than it was. And so I thought that was lovely. Um, and I guess I still read his works and I'm still a large fan. And I've had the luxury now of actually getting to converse with him as a colleague, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of just, my, my preferences for books anytime shift. But as terms of like an author that I am a fan of, unreservedly it would be Neil is there anything that you've read recently that's got you really excited oh goodness to plumb the depths of my mind you know I just devoured the entire uh well that's entire because the six books not out yet John Cleaver series by Dan Wells uh which is just a really really delightful serial killer thriller series um and let's see, I'm looking at my stacks of just read you know I go towards the strange there's a very very strange book by a debut author named Scott Hawkins called The Library at Mount Char. And it's just, it's so weird. And I love it so much. <laughs> it's very, um, I think it's one of those love or hate it. Like I, I think it's a five star, one star. And I just am, a, I'm such a fan of it. I talk about it wherever I go. I know there's another book to follow this Savage song. Will we be seeing more of Kate and August in it, or do you have other characters taking over the lead roles, as it were? Oh, no, it's the it's the continuisa- continuation and finale of Kate and August's journey. It's called Our Dark Duet. Do you get to tell us anything about it, or is it all talk No, about nothing it? at all. Nothing only, at because, all. <laughs> only because Savage Song just came out, and so I want to avoid spoilers. But the one thing that I've been saying about the series is that in many ways... The Savage Song is an origin story for the people that Kate and August are in our dark duet. That is intriguing. Yeah. I'm very excited about this. When does this come out? <laughs> next year, I believe. Uh, yeah, next year, assuming that I finish I finish it soon. <laughs> well, I, sh- I should stop taking up too much of your time. But tell me quickly, no, no. What's, what's next up for you? This is what you're writing right now. Yeah, so I'm currently... Um, I'm drafting our dark duet and I'm also putting the final polish on a conjuring of light, which is the third book in the shades of magic series, which comes out in February. And, um, from there, yeah, I've got, I've got several more books and such, but these are really the two things that have my complete focus at the moment. Any additional degrees you're going to throw in there just to confuse everyone? You know, I really want to go back and get my doctorate and become a doctor of monsters. And my agent was like, um, I can pencil you in for like 2027, but <laughs> don't do it before then. <laughs> Doctorates take much longer, don't they? I know, I know. But I just want to be a doctor. <laughs> that would be very fun. I wonder if you can get away writing a monster monster book as your like doctoral thesis. 
You would think, you would think, and yet, you know, if I was in creative writing, maybe, but in yes. medieval art history, I doubt they'd give me the chance. You picked the wrong focus, obviously. I did, I did. Did you know, I thought about getting a creative writing degree, and the fact of the matter is, like, that's already my job, you know? I wanted to do something different. I, I, I just wanted something strange, I guess. <laughs> do you think having creating, creative writing degrees or, you know, taking courses or diplomas or whatever you want, workshops, do you think they help everyone? No. I'm sure they help some people, but I just think that... I think that there are situations in which they create far, forced similarity. I think they, are, they create this voice that isn't your voice. It's an MFA voice. And I can usually, when I, when I read a book, I can tell often if it's an MFA. And that's not to say, sometimes they're fabulous, and that's great if they are, but I think we have this false emphasis on these things. You know, people join societies, people pay for conferences, people get MFAs thinking this will be the thing that makes publishing easy, this will be the shortcut, when the truth is there are no shortcuts. There are no things that make publishing easy. Um, you just have to write the best book you can and hope for the best, you know? And so I think I, I don't take issue with MFA programs, but I take issue with people looking for shortcuts. Right, because there's no avoiding the hard work. No, <laughs> trust me. Yeah. If I haven't found a shortcut in 11 books, you're not going to find a shortcut. <laughs> yeah, and of course, it's not just a matter of a shortcut. It's also, I guess, to some extent, maybe there is a little tiny bit of luck involved, isn't there? Oh, there's more than a tiny bit. Like, there's, there's a lot of luck. But I've always said that it's half luck and half refusal to quit, you know? Um, but nowhere in there is there the shortcut. And I would challenge that even if you get someone who manages that shortcut in that first book, a book does not make a career. You know, you have to establish who you are as a writer. You have to find that path if you want to survive in this industry, you know? And I think people put so much emphasis on debuts and overnight success, as we were saying, and so much on this flash-and-pan style of, of fame, and it doesn't serve you in the long run. So I think there's a difference between someone who has one story to tell and wants to tell it and someone who wants to be an author, someone who wants this to be their occupation. So I'm just very, very uh, cautious toward, cautioning, I would say, toward people who think that they will find a road in any way. So if you started when you were 19, which is, you know, by any standards, an extremely young age to start writing novels, um, and takes a lot of discipline, which, you know, a lot of 19-year-olds don't have. <laughs> Hell, a lot of 35-year-olds don't have. A lot of 50-year-olds don't have. But still, you started off at a young age. Do you now you know, still see yourself doing this for the rest of your life. I do. I probably won't always do it at the insane pace that I have right now. You know, I've had 11 books in five years. Yeah, that's crazy. And, um, and I, I don't want to maintain that pace. But this is my, like, I am doing what I absolutely love. And it's hard work. It's a, it's a grueling job. And there are no vacations and no weekends. <laughs> but I love it. So, yeah, I, you know, um, 
every single time I sell a book, my first thought is, oh, thank God, I get to keep doing this thing that I love. That is fantastic. And yeah. also very humbling in a lot of ways, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just don't never, I don't think I'll ever trust in it. Um, and I think that's good. I think it's tiring, but I think it's good. But I just am so grateful that, I don't know, I'm grateful that I get to keep doing this. And I hope, I hope I get to keep doing it, you know? Well, I hope we get to speak to you again the next time uh, the book is, <laughs> the next book is out. I would love to. Thank you.